Good morning. Howdy. Everybody have a good Fourth of July? When was the last time that you can remember that we had that kind of weather for Fourth of July? I think 1991. I, I, I had just moved here uh, January 4th of 1991, and I had started dating my current wife, uh, I guess that summer, and we took the kids to the fair in St. Louis, and I remember having to stop by the Walmart on Route 3 and get sweatshirts for them because it was just that cold. I thought that was a, just a wonderful weekend, and boy, it was good this time too, wasn't it? Okay, so why am I speaking today? My name is Alan. I'm one of the elders here at Greater Alton, and I think I know most of you. Gary was actually one of the other elders that was supposed to be preaching today, but he had a little bit of a, a physical complication, just a little illness this week, and about mid-morning on Wednesday, he just knew it wasn't going to come together for him. So about mid-morning on Wednesday, I found out I would be speaking to you today. So uh, the topic, you know, we're in a, in a series of lessons called Why? And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to break that, that all-too-human uh, tendency to do things and forget why we actually do them. You ever done that? You, you do something so often... It becomes so repetitive that you forgot why you were doing it. And that can really bog down your spiritual walk. And so we've been looking at different questions and trying to answer them and get back to the basics. And today's topic is on prayer. Before we do that, I want to do a little bit of a kind of a public service announcement. Uh, as I was talking with Tim in our discipleship group this Wednesday morning, uh, he was talking about how some of you guys aren't necessarily sure how to get a hold of our beginning studies. Uh, you guys are going through those in your discipleship groups. Pat, could you show them our web page? There we go. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you just a little bit of a public service announcement and show you how to find different things. This is our web page. You can find it by just going to greateraltonchurch.org or .com. Either one will get it here. Greater Alton Church is one word. When you get there, you'll see a web page that looks like that. Now, if you scroll down, just like he's doing there, go on. Yeah, you can go there if you want to. You can either click on that one or there's another place there. And you go to a page that looks like this. Now, we've got uh, Colossians up there, but these beginning studies are what we're doing right now. If you'll notice, there are three different choices beside each one of the lessons. Notes, video, or MP3 audio. So if you want to see my talking head on a video, I don't encourage it, but um, you can hit the video. And these are about 20 minutes each. Or you can just get the audio. And you can download them as MP3s put them on your iPod or cell phone, burn them to a CD and listen to them in the car uh, to study with them. Also, if you right-click on any of these, Pat, you want to show them how to do that? See, you get some options there, and you can download those. You can download the notes and kind of read through those that way. So that's how you can get a hold of that information, and I hope that it really helps you. Another place, see where, uh, Pat, go back to the uh, homepage real quick. Okay, now up here at the top you got Home, Daily Bible, and Sermon Archives. Click on 2014 Sermons right underneath that, and it takes you to the sermons that you hear on Sunday morning. And if you kind of scroll down just a little bit, okay, there we go. See, now that's what we're doing today. The MP3 is not there because I haven't done it yet. If I had done it, we would be playing that and I would lip sync, but I haven't done it. So I'm not sure what you're going to hear today. We're just going to work through it. But you can always get the notes. Tom, Tom has done a really great job. Tom Tarantino, who sings bass for us up here. 
He took over our website a few months ago, and I'm telling you what, he is lights out as far as being on top of that thing. And so every Sunday morning, if you'd like to see those notes that, that we hand out in the bulletins, you can always get them online. And the same thing, you can right-click it, you can download it. Or you can just look at it online. Many options there. And the same way with the MP3 audios. Uh, we've been working on trying to get the quality of those up a little bit. So you can always listen to our lessons just by downloading it there. Here's where I make a, a request. Does anybody here know how to do podcasts? Because I've been trying to read up on it, and I just get more confused whenever <laughs> I look at it. It's a little bit of program languages. But what we want to grow into, you know how to do podcasts? Let's talk. You guys just take a break. Take five. Smoke them if you got them. We'll <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean that. But if you're free and available to actually give us a little bit of information and help us go into pod- See, the thing about podcasting is uh, there, there are a few different advantages. But if you sign up for a podcast, you subscribe to it, anytime a new one is posted, it'll automatically go to your device. So it really makes things a lot simpler, and we would like to grow into that and just take advantage of the, the different media and way of communicating that we've got available to us today. Okay, so let's get back into the lesson today. Why pray? How would you answer that question? I was hit with that question whenever I thought I had to speak on it. So I thought, well, how would I answer that? And there were a couple of things as I'm driving away from my discipleship group. That's where I always get in trouble with these discipleship groups. As I'm driving away, I thought, well, you know, here's, I got two points that are practical and, and they help me with my prayer life. So I thought I'd just share those with you. The first point is I pray so that I can find God's peace. I pray so that I can find God's peace. I want to show you a verse here real quick. It's in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. It says there, Do not be anxious about anything. Now, is Paul out of his mind? How hard is this? Don't be, is, there, is there anybody here without medication who's able to do this? Okay, what I, what I want to tell you is there is a way to do this. It's just not found in the ways that we normally think we can find it. Paul is not out of his mind. He goes on and says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a pretty big promise. Has anybody ever showed you that verse before? Nobody's ever shown you that one. I'm sorry. Um, you're looking at it today. On its face, if you've, been looking at, if you've looked at this before, because I have, and you were worried about something, because anxiety and worry are pretty much the same thing, kind of like ugly cousins, they're kind of the same. If you're, yeah, well, if you've not seen that before, but anyway. Um, it, it look, if you've tried to pray your way out of anxiety, how did it work for you? Did it work well? Because I was shown this one some time ago, and those of you who know me know me, I, I have a tendency to get a little bit uptight. I've been that way. Uh, some of you guys remember me whenever I was more uptight than I am today, and part of the reason why I'm not as uptight these days is because of some things that have changed in my prayer life, some things that I'm going to try and share you with you today. This absolutely works, but it doesn't work the way you would think that it would work. Because I found myself getting worked up about something, worried about something, and I'd go and I'd say, God, would you please take care of that? And I didn't feel any better at all. 
And I didn't understand why this wasn't working for me. Sometimes I'd get a little bit of peace while I was talking to him and then it would evaporate. Anybody been there? Okay, so what is happening? I took some time to try and figure this out and the best way I can explain it to you is to show you by a diagram. So it's in your notes and it looks a little bit like this, this funny little picture. See, I believe that every one of us has got these two circles in our lives. The first one, the smaller one in the center, is what I call the circle of control. Of control. And that bigger one, with all those little clouds in it, is your circle of concern. So right away, whenever you look at this, you know that the dynamic is not in our favor. We have some things that we can control, but there's always a whole lot more that we're concerned about than what we can control. Isn't that where worry and anxiety comes from? There are things out here in these little bubbles that we want to turn out right, but we're not able to make them turn out right. Though sometimes we try very hard to make them turn out right. So now, God created the whole situation. He created us. By His design, what do you think actually goes inside that circle of control? What would fit inside there? Yourself. Yeah, show the next slide. In the center there, and I believe this is how God put us together. And really, I think this is, you find this in, uh, in Matthew 6.33 about seeking the kingdom first. I think this whole diagram actually shows how that really does work in real time. God only made you with the ability to control yourself, which comes down to really your attitudes and your actions. That should be good news. You can control what you think and what you do. You can control your attitude and your actions. God designed you to do that. Did He give you the ability to control anybody else's attitudes and actions? No, He did not. How many of you have tried to control somebody else's attitudes and actions? It does not work. God is the only being in the universe with the power to actually control somebody's attitudes and actions, to control them that way. And he refuses to do it. He won't let anybody else do it to you, and he won't let you do it to anybody else. But this is, I think, where we start running into trouble. So if you would, in your notes, scratch into that center circle, you. That's what God designed you to be able to control, you. Your attitudes, your actions. But what about this circle of concern? Those little clouds, you might want to start scratching into those, all the different things that you wake up with each morning on your mind. It could be things like the welfare of your children, uh, your job, taxes, house, neighbor, whatever, husband, wife. Things that we're concerned about, they go out there. Now here's the, here's the dilemma. We're each only given a certain amount of energy. Only just a certain amount. And by God's design, where are we supposed to put that energy? On controlling what you're supposed to control. What happens, though, is we tend to want to make some of these things we're concerned about turn out right. Make them go right. So we take some of that energy that God gave us to control ourselves, our attitudes and our actions, and we start make, trying to make things turn out right. Guess what happens to your circle of control? Pat? <laughs> you notice that not everything that was supposed to go in that circle fits in that circle anymore. 
So what happens? And, and the best way I can think of to illustrate this is to talk about married people. Because married people know exactly how this works. Even if you've never thought of it before. Wives. Which circle does your husband belong in? Why are you laughing? <laughs> okay, so you're with me. A husband belongs over here in the circle of concern, not in the circle of control. So let's just say that your husband, good guy and all like that, that's why you married him. But he's wrong. He's not doing what he ought to do. <laughs> Mike would have you believe that he slips over into her circle of control. I talk to him, I know what he's doing. <laughs> he's just trying to make it look good, which is not going to bring peace ultimately. So anyway, so let's just say your husband is going to do something that you don't think he ought to, and you're right. And you're right. And you show him what the Scripture's got to say on it. Have you done anything wrong? Have you put energy where God would say not to put it? No. You've done exactly what you, he would tell you to do about you. You might want to talk about your attitude about how you show him Scripture. But so far, you're doing what you're supposed to do. But he says, I get it, I understand it, I'm not going to do it. He resists you. Now what happens? I'll tell you where it goes wrong. When it goes wrong is wherever we say, no wait, let me try again. And we come at it harder. And so now we're putting some energy into trying to get this husband to do the right thing. Even with the right motives and being solidly backed up by Scripture, you're trying to get him to do the right thing, and he just resists you. What happens to your circle of control? It drops a notch, right? So now he's resisted you again. What happens? Let me try a little harder. It gets a little smarter. It gets a little smaller. If this keeps up, what happens is you eventually take all your energy that you were supposed to use by God's design to control you, you've wasted it and put it out there in your area of concern, and you lose control of yourself. And you will say or do something you never thought or wanted to say or do. Anybody been there? Now, hopefully maybe this helps you understand what's really happening here. By the way, this, does not, this is not a phenomenon that is unique to marriage. And it's not just women that try to control husbands. Husbands try to control wives. And in the church, sometimes in our discipling relationships, we try to control people. We go beyond just trying to show them with the Scripture and appeal to them to agree with Jesus, and we start insisting that they agree with me. And the controlling sometimes looks like smash-mouth discipleship, or sometimes it looks like, I'm a little busy for you. See, we can control people with a lot of different things. We can withhold love. Has a spouse ever put you in the doghouse? You walk into the house and it's cold in here. <laughs> What happened? You know, you know what happened. You're in the doghouse again. It can happen in churches. This is not what peace looks like. This is not what God's peace looks like. And even if the person that's frustrating you out here decides to try and let you control them, that still isn't God's peace. Because once you get to control them in one area, now you're going to become more insecure because you're going to need to, for them to fly right, you're going to need them to listen to you in this area. And that area. You see how that kind of works? Okay, so this is not 
situation of peace. By the way, just for free, men, whenever we look at these, these clouds, we tend to compartmentalize. I have my work problems. I have my family problems. I have my school problems. I have my money problems. Women, is that how you see that picture? No. Women see it all connected together. My wife clued me into this. She called it waffles and spaghetti. Yeah. Waffles are these very nice formed square little pockets, right? And men, don't we like to put everything kind of in its own little place? And that's how we separate things and prioritize and how we work through problems. Women are a little bit more like spaghetti. It's all in there wrapped around and it all matters. Which means that you women will have the added discomfort of feeling like this is all overwhelming and huge. And so the control freak in you will go into hyperdrive if you don't learn how to reverse this. Okay, so let me see where I'm at in my notes here to see if I can continue to make sense. If I've made sense at all so far. Where am I at? Okay. So let's go back and look at Philippians 4 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The reason why we lose control of ourselves and that area of concern gets so dominating and robs us of the peace of God, I think is found in why and how we pray. Why and how we pray. Uh, the way that I have been praying before in my life, whenever I'm not doing this well, it's like this is something that's broken in my life or a threat, something that I'm worried and I'm anxious about. And God's over here and I say, God, I got this problem, this thing doesn't work and I really need some help with it. Uh, could you? I don't know. I didn't check the batteries. Maybe I should check the battery. No, that didn't work. Um, God, I checked the batteries. You know, maybe it's the wiring. Maybe I'll try the wiring. God, I don't know. I'm going to need you to fix this because I really need you to fix this. I hope he fixes this because I really need this to be this way. Did I really give that to God? Ah, so what's happening? I'm asking God to take this, but I'm not really giving it to Him. I think what Paul is trying to tell us is, if, we're, if we believe that Jesus is King, and that we live in His kingdom, then He's got the power to take care of the things that we're worried and anxious about, but we have to let Him do with it what He wants to do with it. And so we have to have confidence in that. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding... So transcends means it goes beyond our ability to understand. The peace of God, which we're not really going to understand fully, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's look at this slide again. This diagram. There we are. This is, I think, how the peace of God looks. Whenever I put my energy into just controlling me, and I take those things that I'm concerned about. See, I can't wish those away. I can't pretend that they're not there. That's irresponsible. That's delusional. That's not taking care of problems. That's not what God calls me to. He doesn't call me to sit around in a blissful state of ignorance and pretend there are no problems. But he wants me to take action that he tells me I'm supposed to take and leave the outcomes up to him. 
And what happens is all this energy that I have by God's design, whenever I'm using it to control my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, I'm just trying to control me and nobody else, i got a lot of room. I'm feeling a lot better. All of a sudden I've got some peace and some security. Make sense? Okay, let's move on. I, I had a thought, but it just kind of left me. I'm just going to keep moving. Thought was almost back. Sorry. <laughs> Lost it again. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do this. Let's look at Matthew 6, 25-34. Now, we've for years pulled out Matthew 6, 33, because Jesus, and I think it's the bullseye of the Bible, Jesus says there, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. But you realize that we've lifted that out of its context. I don't think inappropriately. I don't think we changed the meaning. But there was a larger issue that, that he's being discussing here. He's, he's tying it together. I want to put it in context and read this. As we look through these verses, look at how many times Jesus mentions the word worry. And remember, worry is a form of trying to control something that God didn't give us the ability to control. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or soar away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, let's just stop there for a second. How many of you guys are really worried about your next meal? We live in America. It's not if we'll eat, it's when we'll eat and how much we're going to eat. God's been incredibly good to us, but how many times do we worry about clothing and what we'll wear? And it's not about not having protection from the elements or being publicly embarrassed for nudity. It's about do we look fashionable? And we get kind of worried about that. How many times about the storing up stuff, reaping and storing? How many of you guys are obsessed with the idea of a retirement fund? I am not against retirement funds. I don't have one. I don't have one. I can't afford one. I used to worry about it. I don't worry about it anymore because I work for the king. You work for the king too. So who am I trusting? I remember one time having this epiphany. I thought, man, if I could just win the lottery. And I was noble about it too, man. I thought I'd pay off the church's debts. but we'd have a better building. We'd have a lot of things right. And my kids wouldn't have... I wouldn't have any problems is what I was thinking. And then it hit me. I trust money more than God. I trust Mullah more than I do Jehovah. And I felt kind of convicted and ashamed and I tried to kind of go backwards on that thinking. So let's pick up what he's talking about here. Because he's dealing, these people have got the same issues. And he says, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field can grow. Uh, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, this is a lot to swallow if you don't understand that this is connected squarely to who our king is. 
Jesus' commands here are all riveted to the idea of living in God's kingdom. According to Jesus there, how many things do we have to worry about? Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, I've studied this out with people. What I've asked them is, how would you like to trade the list that you woke up with worrying about today for that list? Just pleasing God. Doesn't that sound like a trade-up? When we get that straight, that diagram looks like that last one. And we find real peace. Not peace that is there for a moment. Not peace that is dictated by circumstances. I heard a story a few years ago that there was a a challenge to these painters to paint a picture of peace. And they they got these great painters, artists from all over. And uh, one guy, uh, he painted a calm lake valley. Everything beautiful. Water so smooth it looked like just crystal, like a, like a mirror of the sky. Another one had a desert valley and the puffy clouds and everything nice and all like that. And the third guy had a picture of a bird next to a waterfall that was raging out of control and she was smothered. She had her children in her nest, her little chicks in her nest, and she was at rest. Guess who's painting one? The last one. Because real peace, God's peace, isn't dependent on circumstances. We live in a place where we're always going to have something jumping into our circle of concern. Things are not going to go our way. In fact, Jesus promised that in this world you will have trouble. But don't be afraid, for I have overcome the world. So we can focus on just pleasing Him and staying within us, within ourselves. You know, we try to help people. And one of the things I've noticed whether this is in a relationship with your wife or your husband or in church and we're trying to help a younger brother or sister. Sometimes we really want to have that, that effect right now. We want to see the payoff. We want to see how this turns out. Have you ever had a group of people, someone's got like a jar that they can't get open, and so they hand it to someone because they're frustrated, they can't, get a, they can't get the lid off. So the next person grunts and strains and tears a rotator cuff. They hand it to the next one. He gives it his shot, and he's no good. And the seventh person is a little girl who goes, pop, and she opens it up. And you have to wonder, was it the seventh person or all seven that got it open? I think you lose God's peace whenever you demand to be number seven. Think about it. How do you feel whenever you're just number three? Just playing your part. See, we're supposed to stay our energy just focused on us pleasing God. And it brings real peace because we can count on God to do the right thing in these circumstances. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, that word rule, the Greek word means play the umpire. It decides what you're going to focus your energy on. Remember Philippians 4, the peace of Christ, peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. As I've been practicing this, I can tell you that, and people that know me, and, and a lot of you can, can say, yeah, I know this. He was a lot more uptight in days gone by. And people are saying something's different. Something has changed. And they also know that I'm not more casual about those things that I'm concerned about. I'm not lazy. 
And I haven't turned a blind eye to those things. But I trust God more. And I realize that I might only be number three in the series of people that God brings into somebody else's life or into the life of this church to help it be honoring to Him. So, I pray to find God's peace. My second point. I pray so I can fulfill God's purpose. I pray so that I can fulfill God's purpose. Be honest with yourself. Don't look around. <laughs> are you praying so that you can fulfill God's purpose or are you really praying so that God will fulfill yours? Don't look at me. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I'm looking down. I suspect we all, we all struggle with that, don't we? Look at John 14, 12 through 14. Jesus said there, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do... Here we go now. If you believe in Jesus, this is what you're going to do will do the works I have been doing. He did some stuff now. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Why are we going to be able to do greater things? Because he's at the Father. He's talking about the power of prayer. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay. First blush, that sounds like we got a credit card from God. How we want to spend the money, right? I knew a guy, I think it was actually met him back here in our divorce care. It was some years ago. He was mad at God and felt betrayed and he was citing this verse. And the reason being is he seized up on verse 14 there. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And he had been praying, Father, make my wife take me back. In Jesus' name, amen. See, as a kid, I've always been taught, say, in Jesus' name, amen. And I didn't understand it. They didn't explain it to me then. I thought it was the post stamp, the postage stamp on my prayer that made sure that it got through the mail to God in heaven. So I had to say that to make sure it got there. Otherwise, the devil might reroute it and never get to the Father. I don't think that's what we're being taught here. What was the, the man from divorce care, what was his problem with this verse? He was wanting to get what he wanted. Okay, I think the key to understanding this is praying in Jesus' name. You ever have anybody do anything in your name? No? I have. <laughs> Sometimes it was great, other times not so much. When they did things in my name that I would have never done, I got a problem. When we pray, we should be praying the prayer that Jesus prayed. Praying in Jesus' name means praying the prayer Jesus would pray. Now, I've got to tell you, my habit, if you hear me pray publicly, I close my prayers in Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. But if for me it means something different. I'm not thinking of it as a post stamp anymore. I'm taking it as a solid reminder that I better be praying and asking for the things that Jesus himself would ask for. Because if I want his power and resources, I better put that power and resources to, to use where he wants them put to use. You realize that as we've become Christians, as we become convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and that his kingdom is here and he's the king and we serve him, We've inherited the family business. You realize that, right? 
This isn't some, you're not some independent contractor. God did not save you so he could go to work for you. It gets taught that way in a whole lot of churches. We became a part of his family to serve him and to achieve his purposes. What is the family business about? I would say Matthew 28 tells us it's about making disciples. I'd say the book of Acts tells us it's all about spreading the gospel. That's why we're going through these beginning studies. These beginning studies attempt to tell the gospel as near as we can reconstruct it to the way they told the gospel in the first century. Those first four studies do that, and the second four just ask the question, what do you do with that now? It's kind of a what and so what approach. And I'm praying that God will use that stuff and send his resources to turn lights on for people. Not that they believe everything the way that I believe, but that they'll come in contact with his word, wrestle with it, and desire to please Jesus and agree with him. I think that's the kind of prayer that God uses, that he honors. Because I'm trying to promote God's business. I'm asking for his resources to do those things. But what about whenever you pray, God, I just want this job so bad. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? Could be either. You're going to lose your peace if you try to turn it out and you're not willing to hear no. Look at this next verse from James. James 4.3. It says, When you ask, you do not receive. Been there? I've asked and I didn't receive. Could have been this reason. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. How many times do we pray and really what it comes down to is we think we're the king and God works for us. We're asking God to advance our kingdom. We're not asking Him to use us to advance His. And what happens to that diagram we just looked at when we pray like that? What happens to your circle of control? Because you're trying now to control God and hook Him to the plow to do what you want done. And you know what? He doesn't do that. And He will let you hurt until you figure it out. He will, and that's a kindness. That is a grace of God that He doesn't allow us to live in that state and to enjoy it because He wants us to find out what the real thing is all about. Look at how Jesus prayed. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Now, Now get this. Jesus is coming into the garden and he is anything but at peace. If this is the garden of Gethsemane. This is the night they grab him. He knows what's coming. And it records that he sweat like drops of blood. And they've, they've proven, I guess, uh, I've read it somewhere, I don't know, I didn't talk to the doctor myself, but I accept that it's accurate, that you can sweat blood. It happens whenever you are under extreme duress. I mean extreme. And the capillaries in your, in your forehead can burst and then the blood comes out your, your pores and it looks like you're sweating blood. It is not a common occurrence. It's a pretty rare occurrence only under the, the worst of situations and Jesus was there. That was not God's peace. But Jesus comes out of the garden and he is the only one that's at peace. He is solid and he is ready for action. What happened in between getting there and leaving there? Part of it is this prayer. He takes all his anxiety and makes all of his requests, his prayers and petitions to God with gratitude. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. If there's a plan B, let's do that. 
if there's a way out of this that I can do this another way, that would be my preference. Yet not my will. Yours be done. I don't think Jesus has ever asked us to do anything that he didn't do and show us how to do it. Guess what happened? He put his energy and his focus into pleasing God just like he's asked us to do. And he found real peace. And he walked out of there and did something that is still unbelievable. I mean, we take it too far for granted. We, we don't, I still don't think I comprehend all that really happened to Jesus when he made that sacrifice for us. But he walked out of there peaceful, resolved, and ready for action. But this was his attitude. And yet, how many of us, when we pray and we're under duress, we're not saying, your will be done. We're saying, my will be done. It's time for that to change. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm teaching the lesson. I'm telling you this. I'm also telling you, I don't have this perfect. I'm a little bit like a guy who's, who's in playing baseball. You know, if you hit the ball three out of ten times, they consider you a great hitter. I don't hit the ball that often, but I'm getting better. I'm learning how to make contact, and my average is going up. I can just tell you from personal experience that whenever I get this straight, whenever I really resign myself to the will of God, I find peace. And I get to know God better through all of it too. How I pray reflects my understanding of the kingdom of God. How you pray reflects your understanding of the kingdom of God. If you are at the center of your prayers... If you're wanting God to jump over hoops and do things for you that just please and benefit you and just bless you, rather than praying, God, would you advance your kingdom, even if it means that I go broke, even if it means that I, this doesn't turn out the way that I want it to turn out, then we're asking God to let us be king and build our kingdom. So you want to tell what your understanding of the kingdom of God is? Look at your prayer life. Last verse I'm going to show you today. It's over in Colossians 3.17. Paul told the Christians there in Colossae, and whatever you do, sounds pretty inclusive, right? Kind of an exhaustive lesson there. Whatever, only everything is everything. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, which means do it the way Jesus would do it, right? Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. See, we're supposed to do as Christians, and this isn't just for the people who speak up here on the stage. This isn't just for the one who's facilitating your discipleship group. If you're a Christian, the standard is the same for everyone. Everything we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do in the name of Jesus, which means we're supposed to do it the way he does. I am pitiful at doing this, but I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm getting better. Directly in proportion to the way I pray. Because I cannot do this, you can't do this by your strength, by your willpower, by your own understanding. I need God's resources and I need God's power and I need to pray for it so that I can act like Jesus when I go home and things aren't good. Or whenever my neighbor is chewing my butt for being a Christian. I had a neighbor show up drunk on my doorstep. Boom, 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 boom. And she's cussing me out for my messianic meetings. She just doesn't understand. Uh, but it was, it was interesting. i got to tell you, I don't get a lot of that. But how do I respond to that whenever that's happening? You know, it's, it was a little shocking. I, 
I need to respond the way that God wants me to respond. And whenever I'm praying the right way, I'm able to do it. And when people frustrate me or deny me or resist me, I don't freak out. I realize that there are gods to take care of. I'm just number three. <laughs> just kind of pushing on this a little bit. But now, here's, here's the other side of that. If it's not your aim to be doing everything that you do in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, then you don't really have to worry about your prayer life. Why pray? Why ask for the Holy Spirit? Since the Holy Spirit does comfort us, but He also teaches us to say no. Actually, it's grace that teaches us to say no to sin and ungodliness. But it's the Holy Spirit who does this work to lead us into righteousness and to lead us into truth and to transform us from the inside out. You don't need that if you're not trying to be like Jesus. If you're not committed to His kingdom, to advancing His gospel, then you don't have to worry about this lesson at all. You can try and salve your conscience by talking to your higher power and asking Him to do what you want done. And it'll be just about as good as the air and the words that you breathed on it. And you won't really need any more power than that. But if you're serious about obeying a righteous, holy God, and if you took serious your commitment when you died to your old way of life and surrendered, all of that went before so that you could be transferred into the kingdom of the Son. If you understood that, you're going to need a good prayer life because you're going to need that power and you're going to need that resource because literally we're ambassadors we're now called to reach out to the world and let them know that there is a real God, one with real power. The only thing that limits God in our world is us. You realize that, right? So if we would get serious about this, and I believe that prayer is the opportunity. So why do I pray? I pray because I'm after this. Not so that I get any kind of glory. I'm nobody. I'm not even much to look at. But God is everything, and Jesus is amazing to look at. And so if I can just tune down and squelch this selfishness in me and look beyond what's really happening to the spiritual implications and just humble out and be number three in the line on that jar, when I do that, I find a lot of peace and I see power and I find God's purpose being done. And that's amazing to see it happen. And some of you guys have seen that too. So I want to encourage you guys to kind of take this lesson to heart and think about how do you pray? Why do you pray? I hope maybe you find some practical information in this. I'm trying to be kind of quick with it, and uh, I may not have made this make a lot of sense, so I'm always available. So if anybody wants to, I'll hang around a little bit here afterwards. If anybody has any specific questions, you can always call me or email me, and I'll be glad to try and explain it better if I didn't get a good job of it this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us with all this. Heavenly Father, um, Thank you for allowing us to get together in a public place like this and giving us opportunities to look at your word and try to pursue your will and your way. Father, um, prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we know we need to be doing, but it just seems like so much work that, that sometimes we don't do it well. But Father, it's the work that you called us to do. And yet it's through prayer that we find our greatest blessings because things get put into the right perspective. It's through prayer, when we pray the way we're supposed to, that we realize the limitations that we have and we focus in on just controlling what you told us to control. And we look for your will and your pleasure in that. And then, Father, when we pray and ask for you to do what you want done in this world with us and with the things that, that you've given us, we see your kingdom advance. 
Father, I pray that you'll help us to help us to pray like we've never prayed before. Help us to see your kingdom more clearly than we ever have before. Father, help us to repent of trying to be the king of our own little kingdoms and enslave you to blessing us for our own selfish pleasures. Father, uh, we're going to end up this morning and we're going to pass around some, some baskets and we're going to collect response cards. Uh, Father, I pray that anybody that, that really has an aha with this lesson this morning and needs some help with it, we'll, we'll make that known uh, so that they can get some prayer support from our prayer team and maybe uh, some, some one-on-one attention if they need that. Father, uh, for those that, that are members here, I pray that you'll help us to be generous and, and uh, give a contribution that pleases you and nobody else so that your work can be done in this place. Father, we want to surrender more and more and more of our lives and our control to you and just control ourselves. So we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.